Welcome to Where Are You Now, a podcast dedicated to catching up with former RAs and hearing where their journey of life has taken them since their glory days at New York University. My name is Vincent and I'm tonight's co-host, a senior from Queens, New York, studying mechanical engineering with a minor in aerospace engineering and an RA in Founders. And I'm Tom Ellett and I serve as a senior associate vice president of student affairs and the co-host with Vincent tonight, my bud from Founders Hall. Tell me how it's like to be an RA in Founders Hall. It's actually quite interesting because uh, last year I was the RCA at Founders and now I'm the RA at Founders. And it was a very drastic change and I really didn't expect to be overwhelmed. But also it was a very exquisite experience that I have a different perspective compared to all the other RAs. And I'm really thankful that I actually became an RA at Founders because it opened myself up and before I became an RA I was very introverted and didn't really like to approach people but after becoming an RA it kind of forced me to become out, get out of my shell and become an extrovert in a way so because of the RA experience I've learned to talk to people and learn how to hold conversations and be in front of large crowds and I think everyone should become an RA. That's great. We're going to have to get you on a video to be able to tell that to candidates. Like, here's why I should be an RA. So your study hard, I mean, you're doing lots of things academically, but what is the thing that you really want to do now in life? You know, as a child, I've always wanted to open up my own cheesecake bakery. Whoa, that's not what I thought you were going to say. But I do not have the money or the background to do that yet. Okay. But once I build that career and get that money, then I plan on doing okay. that. But what are you studying for? Like, after you graduate, you want to go? I want to go to law school. Law school, okay. Yes. That's good. All right. I actually want to focus in patent law because of my background in undergrad mm-hmm. for engineering. So I don't want to do that much of a drastic change from engineering. Right. So patent law, I think, is a good balance between law and engineering. And I particularly want to focus in pharmaceuticals or computer engineering great and and you're this athletic guy too i mean you're doing all these events uh, what what's the last event that you succeeded in so me and my buddy bo who's also an RA yeah, founders Bo. we like doing spartan races mm-hmm. and we've already finished the trifecta which is the completion of the super the sprint and then the beast they all consist of a different amount of mileage, but they all are obstacle courses that range from three miles to 15 miles. Fantastic. Congratulations. That's really a great accomplishment, too. Thank you. And, and we have a guest tonight, I think, does some of this physical activity, because I can't imagine if he was in the armed forces and leading what he does, that he would be successful. So let's bring him on the phone. Tonight's guest is who? Vincent? Today our guest is Carmen Leone, who served as an RA in West 13th Street for Laurel Christie during the 2004-2006 academic years. Welcome, Carmen, and thank you for joining us on tonight's show. It's a real pleasure having you on. How are you, and where are you? I'm doing great. I, uh, I am in Colorado right now, and I am currently serving as a JAG in the United States Air Force. Fantastic. Uh, this is Tom and Carmen. Great to have you on the show. Tell us a little bit about that transition from being an NYU student, graduating, and then how you got where you are. So the year after I graduated from NYU, I actually went and served for a year in Alamosa, Colorado, where I served with AmeriCorps. 
and it was some service work that I did at St. Joseph's Kitchen on campus ministry in New York City while I was a student at NYU that actually kind of sparked that desire to serve. And so I spent a year of my life where ultimately I met my wife, and and then after that, wanting to continue with this sort of theme in my life of service, I went on to law school with the intent of serving people full-time and as a profession, and I thought, what better way to do that than going to law school and becoming a lawyer and helping my clients. Outstanding. Let's jump back to your time in Washington Square. What did you study while at NYU? I studied journalism, and it was a fantastic major, and it, it prepared me very, very well for law school. When I got to law school, I was in an initial writing class. I think it was during my, my, my 1L year, my first year at law school. And one of my professors asked me, what was your background? What did you study in college? And I wasn't sure where the question was coming from. You, you never write, you know, really know what they're driving at and they, when, when a professor asked you that. So I, I wasn't sure that was a good thing or a bad thing, but I told her the truth. I said, hey, I was a, I was a journalism major at NYU. And she said, um, you get it. Like you, you get how we're supposed to be writing and formulaic and uh, you're concise. You were perfectly trained for this type of writing. And so that made me feel a little more comforted that, that I made the right decision while I was at NYU. That's great to hear that this uh, training here academically has prepared you for the work that you're doing. Uh, tell us a little bit about the extracurricular activities that you did while you were an undergrad. Yeah, thanks, Tom. So I initially got involved with student government at the dormitory level when I lived at Third North, maybe. And there I got, I, I ran for a position. I was elected to one of those student government type positions. And, and I worked with it really closely with a, uh, with a group of like-minded students who all wanted to sort of improve the life and the living conditions of, of the other residents of the people who lived in that dorm. And it was a really, it was a really fun opportunity. So I, I, I did that as an extracurricular. I also, my, my hallmark from, from college, I think I was most, most well known for riding a longboard skateboard. And it, it was, it's one of those funny things because I, I don't really identify, nor have I ever identified with this skating culture. You know, I don't, I don't have, you know, some of the fixtures as you would think of when you think of a skater. I just wanted a means to be able to get around the city as efficiently as, as possible and to be able to take my mode of transportation into buildings with me without it, you know, without the concern of locking it up outside and having it stripped down. And so I skated a lot. I did it initially just for efficiency purposes, but then I ultimately skated all around the city for fun. I mean, that's what I would do just for exercise and just to get around and see the city in a different way. I wish I had the same balance as you because I cannot skateboard for my life. <laughs> um, I'm assuming your um, hall council experience made you want to be an RA, but were there any other reasons why you wanted to be an RA while in undergrad? When I was a freshman at NYU, I was at Weinstein. I had a had an RA. His name was Anna. I don't remember her last name, but she. I remember talking to her quite a bit about it. And then same when I went to Third Avenue North for my sophomore year, I had a really cool RA and, and, and just talking to these different people and, and sort of picking their brain and seeing the good and the bad of being an RA. Ultimately, I, what I walked away from my sophomore year was it's a hard job. There's a lot to it, but it's incredibly rewarding because you can have real impact on students' lives and it's a leadership position 
that oftentimes thrusts you in circumstances beyond your years or maybe a little bit before what you're ultimately ready for or think you're ready for. And I'm always up for a challenge. So that was that was a, a huge motivating factor for me. So you were an RA in West 13th Street, pretty new to us uh, at that point in time when you were an RA there. What was it like to be in a really small staff in a small building? And how were the relationships that you had with your residents? It was a fantastic experience. When I first applied for being an RA, initially wanted to go to the Palladium. That, that was the dorm I ultimately was going for, and I thought that that's where where I would be best be able to serve the, the residents and the students at NYU. So when I got the call for an offer to serve at 13th Street, West 13th Street, I was kind of taken back. I never even heard of it. So like you're saying, Tom, it was very new at the time, and I heard that there was only four members on staff. I'd be one of the four. And, you know, I, was, I wasn't sure how to take it, but I kept an open mind, and I'll tell you, I ultimately loved it. I mean, it was a job and a position where I was able to get to know my residents extremely well. It was a quiet dorm, so there was not a lot going on. It was uh, an intimate space. So there's there's two towers, one that's right off of 13th and the other is right off of 14th. And there's only, I think, seven floors on each tower, in each tower. And so you could get through very, very quickly and you only pass so many people as you're going through the actual residence hall. And so you get to know people, you know, and in, in New York, it's so hard to do that even in a community within the community. So, you know, like, like not only NYU, but within this particular residence hall, you really do have this sense of belonging. And I really enjoyed that. One difficulty of it was, splitting up rounds so or, or being on call. So, you know, we had, among the four of us, we, we had to basically split up the month evenly. And so oftentimes we would have a week or more where we were on call. And that, that was a dose of, of responsibility that I don't think I was ready for at the time when I was, you know, in, in my teens. But, but it taught me a great deal about responsibility, though. And so I, I wouldn't have traded it for anything. Being with such a small staff and so many residents, were there any special moments you had with these residents, and are you still connected with any of them? So I did have some some special moments. I can't say that I am connected to any of them any longer. While I developed close relationships with the residents at the time, I'll be honest with you, I'm not very good about keeping in touch. That's one of my many negative characteristics, but... But I, I do remember a few I do remember a few special circumstances for me and, and these were circumstances that unfortunately were not very things that you, you would particularly want. So so students in incredible despair or facing crises in their life. And I distinctly remember a couple of disputes between roommates that ultimately at issue was some deep deep seated and deep deep-rooted issues in in one or more of, uh, of the people in the conflict. And, you know, I, I, for a while, I was a criminal defense attorney. And in fact, I'm going back into that role as, as a judge advocate here in the next couple months. And I often think back to those moments when I, when I represent clients who are facing life in jail or, or, or facing some very solemn and long periods of incarceration. 
I often think back to being, you know, 19, 20, 21 years old as a resident assistant and getting my first taste of what it's like to, to, to interact and to try to help people ultimately later on clients who were dealing with some very serious issues in their life. And that experience as an RA really helped lay the initial pavers for a path that would ultimately be, you know, helping clients in the darkest times of their lives. So I do remember the hat. It's not exactly, like I said, it's not exactly joyous, but it was incredibly meaningful and touching to me. And I remember those moments as difficult as they were very fondly. That's really a great reflection, especially for those uh, students who are going to be RAs in the upcoming year to think about how that the work they're doing will translate to future career aspirations that they may have down the road. Tell us a little bit about how your law work has really kind of crossed with the military life. I went into law school with an aspiration to serve the public, right? So I I was just coming off this year at AmeriCorps. I was looking into public interest work. Like I think a lot of law, law students I was pretty quickly distracted by the salaries that the bigger firms could offer. And the way that most law schools operate, your internship between between school years or academic years ultimately dictate your full-time employment following graduation from law school and ultimately, hopefully, passage of the bar exam. So... What 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 people don't tell you though is that when you're going through that process and you're interviewing for these jobs, as you would imagine, it's pretty competitive. And there are on-campus interviews where big firms come recruit young law students or, or you know junior law students, and there's a, basically a pecking order. And so the, the biggest, most prestigious firms will usually come first, and then. The public interest jobs, the, the, the lower paying jobs, they will come last. And so those who are dedicated to public interest really have to forego all other options, including those that are that have the big carrots of, of big salaries, if they are truly dedicated to the public interest sector. And so what I what happened to me and what I think it happens to a lot of students are even though they're well intentioned going into law school, they well, they get distracted and so to be honest with you, Tom, I, I actually started out working for a rather large firm, and the expectation was that I was going to get a, a full-time offer, an offer for full-time employment, uh, just like most people do. When I was coming out of law school, it was 2009-2010 timeframe, and we, we as a country, our economy was, was tanking and particularly hit hard was the legal industry, especially in the Philadelphia area where I was going to law school. And what that ultimately resulted in was, it wasn't just personal to me, many of my colleagues coming out of law school at that time, none of us got offers for full-time employment because law firms were shook. You know, they were concerned that they weren't going to be able to sustain the business like they were in the past. And so they weren't onboarding, they weren't onboarding as, as frequently. And so I was starting my third year of law school without any real prospect of full-time employment following. And it was at that moment that I realized that the opportunity for public interest, something that I hadn't thought of since the very first few weeks of law school, was now very much back in sight. And my brother, who was at the Naval Academy serving in the Navy, he said, you know, 
Uh, I know several Jags who absolutely love what they do. Have you ever considered that? And I said, well, Joe, I know that, you know, my brother, I said, Joe, you know, I, I really look, look up to you. I, I see that you're at the Naval Academy and I, and I think that that's fantastic. Yeah, maybe I'll give it a try. And I looked into it and here I am eight years later, loving just about every minute of it. That's great. I expect being a Jag required a lot of training. What was the physical component component like? What was the hardest part of the training? Yeah, that, 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 that's a good question. I was concerned about that, too. <laughs> you know, I was concerned about that, too. I, I, I had kept up with trying to stay physically fit, like it sounds like you also are, while I was at NYU. So I, I, I wasn't super concerned about it, but I'll, I'll tell you that in the Air Force, the physical requirements are not too onerous. So I did some research before coming in, and I realized that in order to be in good standing as a service member, at least in the Air Force, I had to run a mile and a half, and still do, in at least 14 minutes, which which is more than doable. Most most of my colleagues that stay physically fit, we do it in about 11, anywhere between nine and a half to 11 minutes, about 60 push-ups in a minute, 60 sit-ups in a minute, and your waist measurement has to be under 39 inches. So it, as far as the physical requirement, it's, it's not bad. And even in training, the Air Force, when they bring in professionals, so doctors or nurses or chaplains or lawyers, we have an abbreviated training course. At least when I was coming through, it was five weeks. And really what, what they focus on is how to wear a uniform, uh, customs customs and courtesies, so how to salute properly, when to salute different rank structures. I mean, really, they're, they're trying to give you a, a fast track learning how the military works, and then they release you to your first base. And so the physical requirement was not very demanding from the Air Force, from my perspective in the Air Force. Now, I will say, though, different services take different approaches. The Marines, from what I understand, is the most demanding physically in order to basically cut it as a Marine, especially during that training phase. But as a JAG in the Air Force, it's not like the SEAL training that you see on television or hear about, more than manageable. What experiences in the military have you found that's been the most helpful in developing your leadership skills? Yeah, so particularly as a JAG, where I was able to practice my leadership um, initially was in the courtroom. The JAG Corps is known for its sink or swim type mentality, baptism by fire, as they say. And so I was thrown into some some pretty significant cases with very little oversight and with a ton of autonomy with prosecuting military justice. So when airmen would mess up, they would do drugs or other offenses under the uniform code of military justice. They looked to me for charging schemes, for for development of theme and theory, and for ultimately prosecution in the courtroom. That to me was a way to exercise leadership because I often had a team. I had co-counsel, I had paralegals, teammates that were just trying to support me in any way I could, and it was a fantastic experience. Dealing with all these cases, what do you think is the most important mindset or skill when you're negotiating these conflicts? Yeah, so I picked up on, on a, a choice word that you used, which is negotiating. And as your question sort of infers, is, is that negotiation is just one form of conflict management, right? So 
you have litigation, which is one form of conflict management, but but I'm a strong believer in trying to look for other ways to resolve conflict prior to ultimately getting the litigation. And for me, negotiation is is a huge aspect. And and I'd say directly to your to your question, what what one of the characteristics or traits that you ultimately want to look for is open mindedness. Too many lawyers, in my opinion, take the adversarial nature of trial and they apply it to pre-trial negotiations where where you're supposed to be problem solving and, and looking at the problem together with the person with whom you're negotiating. It's not me versus you in a negotiation. It's us working against the problem together. But the lawyers are trained, especially trial attorneys, we're, we're trained to just be adversarial and, and hard-headed and, and just a bulldog in the courtroom. And that is not the approach that you want to take, that I would recommend anyone take when you're trying to negotiate a potential settlement. Great advice, uh, and certainly advice for uh, even RAs in terms of negotiating things. What was the preparation like for you to go into law school? And I know a lot of our students are pre-law here. Any advice you'd have for them? Because you took some time off. Any things they should think about, LSATs and all that stuff? Yeah, so I started I started studying for the LSAT while I was a senior at NYU. One of the benefits of being in the city is that you have a ton of different prep courses that you could take, varying from online courses to weekend seminars to full fledged months or two month long courses that you know you go at night. So I, I did one of those types of courses in order to try to prep myself as much as possible and there were plenty to choose from. I also took a lot of my weekends towards the end of my senior year to actually go through test runs. So the the best way for me in order to prepare for the LSAT was to actually take timed, realistic environment type tests. So I'd go to the library, go in one of the quiet rooms where other people would be working on whatever they're working on in their studies and try to put myself in an environment that would be like taking the LSAT in real time. And so I did that for quite a few months. I did take some time off, but I took some time off because my timeline, I started too late. Right. And so I did not have a grasp on when I needed to have LSATs in for application purposes to be most competitive for the schools that I wanted to get into. And so because of that, I did take that year off, which looking back was extremely beneficial because I have an incredibly supportive wife and three beautiful children. And it would have never happened had I, thank you, it would have never happened had I not gone to Alamosa, Colorado for that year simply because. I had messed up my timeline. So it's funny how life works out sometimes. So as far as advice, Tom, I'd say start early. You know, even even towards the end of your junior year, start thinking about what you need in order to do for your timeline purposes in order to, to meet the benchmarks that you want to meet. Because once you go past the benchmark, it's like dominoes. They just start falling and it's very it's very easy to get behind. So if if, if you if you know you want to go on to law school straight from undergrad, straight from NYU, then if I were to go back and do it again, well I wouldn't have changed anything. But for, for students who, who want to go go straight through, you should start looking at the end of their junior year, not necessarily for super intense studying at that point, but just to start 
lining up the benchmarks and the timelines. I have a question about law school and undergrad. How different are your experiences in law school compared to your undergrad experiences? At NYU, especially in the major, my journalism classes were had a very, very small ratio of student to faculty. And so I and I had some fantastic professors, one in particular, Gina Boubian. I think she worked for like the New York Times. She was an adjunct professor, but man, she was tough and she taught she taught me so much when it came to journalism. It, it was very hands-on. I knew her very well. She knew me very well. She ended up writing me a letter of recommendation to law school. And and, and that's just one example. There there are several professors that I had in these very small intimate classes. It was very hands-on. When I got to law school, especially in the first year courses, contracts and torts and constitutional law and, and those, you know, the required classes that everyone has to take, it was very impersonal. There was not as much sort of interaction with professors and they didn't care if you came, at least in my school, they, they did not care if I came to school. They did not care if I came to class. Everything fell on one grade and that was the final. So throughout the semester, I would crave feedback because that's what I was used to at NYU. I mean, I would have these these articles that I would turn in. I would get tons of feedback. You know, they would they would be returned to me with with just completely marked up in red, and that ultimately helped me grow. When I was in law school, I had no idea whether I was getting it or not until I got my grade back and the semester was over. So, so that that is a that is a major way it's different. You know, you you have, I think the the proverb or the proverbial saying is you you have enough rope to hang yourself with. Well, that is certainly true in law school because you can, if if you don't have the work ethic and the focus, it is very easy to get away from you. There's a lot that has to happen outside of the classroom. A lot of work that has to happen outside of the classroom and discipline to make sure that you're going to class and that absorbing and taking as much in as possible. Kermit, what are you most proud of so far in your career? I think what I'm most proud of, actually what I know I'm most proud of, is not any particular result of any particular trial, but for, and I hit on this a little bit earlier, for walking with clients during their darkest times. You know, I, I, I get the question a lot of times because I, I teach now. A lot of my students, when they hear about my background, they will ask me, how do you live with yourself with defending the types of people that you defended, the people who were accused of, of heinous, heinous crimes? I tell them that they don't have anybody else. I don't vouch for what they do. I, I, don't, I don't condone their actions, but, but they too are human. And they too, as, as poor choices as they've made, as heinous of choices that, they, that they've made or ultimately convicted of if they're convicted, they're still human and they still need somebody. And, and, and these are people that ultimately everyone turns their back on. They got, they have nobody. And oftentimes I was, I was the only person in their life. And so there were moments where like most people in most professions, you get overworked and you feel irritable and you feel you know, at times that maybe you're struggling with with what you're doing and can't tell you how many times I had to sort of step back 
can think to myself, if I blow this person off, if I don't return this person's call or pick this phone up and answer this call from this client that I know is really struggling in their life right now, they may not be able to call anybody else. And I, and I don't know what ultimately that means, right? And so for, for me in my life, in my career as a lawyer, you know, I've done prosecution, I've taught, and I've defended. I'm most proud of my defense days, not, not because I'm trying to get quote-unquote criminals free or out on the street. That, that, that's not my perspective. My perspective is contributing to the, our justice system, which relies on balance, advocates on both sides. And, and if I can help people, if I can be a pillar of support, if I can be that helping hand, that person to walk with during the, talk, the, the darkest times, then, then that, to me, makes me feel like I actually had a meaningful impact on another human being's life. So I think that's, I think that's how I answer that. Profound. Yeah, profound. Thank you. Wow, that was a lot. <laughs> um, do you still stay in contact with other RA alums? You know what? If so, it's time for shout outs. Yeah, no. So I, I don't, I, I don't uh, keep in touch with any of the other alums. I was looking through a, a sheet that was just recently shot out to me and I was looking to see if I knew any of the names. I saw a couple, but really Laurel Christie, I don't know if she still works on staff, but she was a fantastic boss. I often try to remember her when I have people working for me now. I try to emulate her leadership style, which I really appreciated when I had her as, as my first real boss. So if she's listening somewhere out there, Laurel, hello and thank you for for everything that you instilled in me as I was coming in my formative years. She's still in student affairs, but not at NYU's, but I'll make sure she gets to hear this. Um, awesome. Let's go to speed round. Quick answers to the quick questions. Favorite tradition at NYU? Jumping in the fountain at graduation. Did you go abroad? I did. I went to Madrid, Spain. Best dining hall at NYU? I think it was Palladium. Celebrity sightings as an NYU student? I think I saw Sarah Jessica Parker one time. Ooh, ooh, nice. And finally, any other last memorable moments quick for the RA experience for you? I remember coming in and seeing a guard at West 13th. His name was Powell. He was the best guy. He's from Jamaica. I loved talking to that guy. My favorite memories were coming back and just talking to him, catching up with him for five minutes a day. It was something I always looked forward to. Outstanding. Well, make sure he gets to listen to this if I can find him. Of course. Carmen, Carmen, thank you so much for spending some time with Tom and I to discuss your journey and where your life after MOU has taken you. As always, thanks to our listeners who can stay connected with RA alums who are living the Dream School alumni version life. Carmen, really, what a blessed life you're leading and doing some work that is so important for that person who doesn't seem to have a face or a name. You're giving them that dignity of a name and a face. So thank you for doing that for some people in our community who need you most. Thanks, Tom. Thank you. Thanks, Tom. Thank you, Vincent. Absolutely. Absolutely. Special thanks tonight to our engineer, Juliana Fonseco Alesso, and to the current professional staff and alums like Laurel Christie, who assisted these great RAs in skill acquisition along the way. If you like tonight's show, look for more content on the RA alumni website that will be coming out July 1st where RAs can put their favorite memories and connect with all those people they worked with many years ago. If you want to know your favorite books that RAs read, go to the whattheyreading.blogspot.com. Until next time, do like Carmen. Give from your heart, and it will come back more than 10 times worth. Have a great night.